Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. So this week, Tarun and I take a step further into the NFT space and chat with two content creators slash entrepreneurs, Andre Anjos, or RAC, and Trevor McFedries. Both are making work that intersects with NFTs, crypto, and other novel blockchain concepts. We discuss their work and explore new ways in which creators and influencers can engage with blockchain tech and NFTs. We also try to imagine what living in a digital reality really means for the creation and consumption and ownership of content. But before we start in, I have two key points I want to share. First, I want to let you know about an event that is coming up this week, February 15th. That is the first ZK Sessions online event. This is a meetup that I'm putting together. Ideally, we're going to roll this out monthly. It's a bit like a mini ZK Summit, but with a focus. So this event is all about DeFi and privacy. We're going to be exploring the ways that these complement or at times conflict with one another. And hopefully through these conversations, we'll have a better understanding of what privacy in DeFi could and should look like. So I've added the link to that in the show notes. Check it out, sign up, but only do that if you're definitely coming. It's free, but there is actually a limit on the number of spots we can share. And so really do only sign up if you're planning on coming. Uh, Yeah, so if you think you'll make it, check it out and hope to see you there. Secondly, I also want to thank this week's sponsor, Aave. Now, Aave is an open source, decentralized, non-custodial liquidity provider on Ethereum. And a fun fact I just learned, Ave is the Finnish word for ghost, which totally explains the logo. With Ave, users can participate as depositors, meaning they provide liquidity to earn a passive income, or they can act as borrowers and borrow in an over-collateralized way or an under-collateralized way. So think one-block liquidity flash loans that we've talked about a couple times on the show. Ave is decentralized and community-governed. And it has an ecosystem grant program, so anyone who's building anything that contributes to Aave should definitely check it out. Maybe a little bit reference to this episode, the DeFi staked NFT collectible game Avagachi actually originated as an Aave ecosystem grant. So to learn more about the grant program and Aave as a project, visit Aave.com. Also, they told me to tell you, you shouldn't hesitate to reach out to them directly if you have any questions or need more info. So thank you again, Aave. Now here's our episode on the intersection of creatives, influencers, blockchain, and NFTs. Today, Tarun and I are chatting with Andre Andros and Trevor McFedries. Both are artists, quite different from each other, but the connection point of this interview is that they're both working with NFTs and blockchain tech. And I think what's pretty cool about this is we're going to get a chance to see from an artist's perspective how NFT standards are evolving, how they can be used. And also, maybe we can talk a little bit about what being a creative in the digital world actually means today. So first off, let me welcome Trevor and Andre. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here. And Tarun is guest hosting, so you'll also hear from him. Hey, excited to be back and happy to be talking about Uh, art and crypto. So we have done a few NFT-focused episodes already. We did one episode on actually the ERC standard, how that even comes about, and we focused in on the ERC-721 and the NFT standards that have come since. I've also interviewed Dieter Shirley from Flow, 
and Alex from Rarible. I think that was last year. Both are blockchain projects heavily focused on NFTs, but there's a lot more projects doing that. And I hope that during the year, we actually get to bring on some of those other platforms. I know we're going to be mentioning some of them today. Now, to kick this off, I think it's really good to hear a little bit about your stories, what you actually do day to day, maybe if like how you got excited or involved in the space. So Andre, why don't we start off with you? So I've uh, I'm primarily a musician. That's that's kind of a it's kind of a loaded ter- term for me. It's like how do I define everything that I do? But I think musician is pretty all encompassing. So I usually go with that. Uh, I've been making music professionally since 2007. I've I've done everything from remixes, TV, film, uh, original work. Uh, worked with labels of all sizes. I, I've kind of done everything, and uh, it's something I, I'm I'm really passionate about and, and enjoy. I, I discovered crypto. You know, I feel like a lot of people talk about this and are like, yeah, I read the white papers. Like, no, I heard about it because of Silk Road or, you know, some article that like, you know, whatever. But I was always really interested in open source and I, I had been pretty involved in like, you know, BitTorrent and like like that whole world. And I, I sort of saw the power of like peer-to-peer networks. And I, I always felt like Bitcoin is sort of the next evolution of that, you know, uh, Obviously, very different applications, but I, I, ideologically they were aligned. So I was like, I was kind of interested in. It. I didn't really look into it properly, like as an asset, you know, until like maybe late 2016, uh, which <laughs> felt late at the time. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, and like many people, I just went on Coinbase, I bought some, and then I looked at all these other assets, like Ethereum specifically, and I was like, okay. What's this? Uh, there's apparently like a whole ecosystem here that I'm completely unaware of. So I think I stumbled on a video of Vitalik Buterin talking about it. It must have been like DevCon 1 or something, oh. you know. It, they, they, they was still the world computer analogy, you know. But but at the time, I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. Like, we're, we're going to change the world. Everything is going to be better. This is going to solve all the problems in the music industry. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, I, you know, just realized pretty quickly that it's way too early. Totally. <laughs> and, but, but the, the, I, the ideas still stood and on their own. And, and I was, I was just very interested in it and it hasn't really stopped. And I, I've sort of kept up with it ever since and, and tried multiple projects. We can get into that, yeah. but, you know, that was sort of my introduction. But your day to day, I mean, you're not like, would you, would you call yourself like a blockchain practitioner? Are you working in it or are you like doing something that touches it? So according to CoinDesk, I'm a I'm a yield farmer and a musician. So uh, <laughs> yield so, farmer comes first. Oh no. <laughs> yes. So uh, no, I, I mean like there are there are days where I probably spend more time on crypto, uh, whether that's on the investing side or tra- you know not really trading to be honest, but more like yeah, just kind of exploring different projects and it does take up a lot of time. But uh, then again, like being a musician does afford me a lot of flexibility, so I can kind of come in and out of it. And um, I'm kind of in between albums anyway. So it's like good timing for me to, to explore other things. And um, but but yeah, it's definitely not like it's, you know, my life's work is definitely music, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> cool. And your musician name is not your name. Your musician name yes. is R-A-C? R-A-C. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. What does so, that stand for? Um, I wish I had a better story for it, but it, it stands for Remix Artist Collective, which oh. at the time I was trying to start a business in college. And it was like a, a whole bunch of remixers kind of working for labels and other artists. And that never really panned out. So I just kind of kept it as like a brand, as a cool. name, as an umbrella, you know, so it's, this, it's kind of loose. This was like around the Girl Talk era, right? 
Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, 2007. A lot of hype machine number ones for sure. Hype machine. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember. Like my first exposure to, to you was hype machine. It's 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 funny because like Trevor and I like really come from that like similar era. You know. Uh, yeah. It's it was a great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that a good time. that connection point you just made to like the P two P music downloading to blockchain to kind of now in, like finding a way to intertwine them. This is interesting. I, I have done an episode long time ago about like file storage mm-hmm. and P2P storage. And my background is also like my interest initially is all the way back to Napster. Like mm-hmm. I used to write papers about this stuff because I just thought it was super neat. I want like I wanted everything to be free. And then I worked in the music industry and actually worked for <laughs> artists and realized like, oh, wait, they also have to make money. Damn it. I've just been like a, a user, like a, you know, a, a like a, a listener. Mm-hmm. So I was really Professional loving. consumer. A, a consumer. I was really loving the freeness of it until I realized there was this other side. But it, 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 one quick thing on Napster is like, so for, also for context, like I, I grew up in Portugal, you know, we had three and a half channels on TV, like one record store, you know. So when Napster came out, that's when I really discovered music, you know. Totally. I discovered the Beatles, like, through Napster, like, to give you some context. So there's another side to it that maybe, you know, that really opened up the world of music for a lot of people. And I I definitely, like, sort of feel aligned with that. So uh, it wasn't all bad, you know. I feel that too. Even in Montreal, I had a very similar thing where as a 16-year-old, I couldn't necessarily get the records. I didn't know where to find them. It was hard. And then all of a sudden I had access. Mm -hmm. So Trevor, now I want to hear a little bit about your story and, you know, your background, how you got to the place that you're at. And also I want to hear a little bit about the project that you're working on now. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think there are kind of like some connected tissue amongst all of us weirdos in this space. And I, I grew up in small town, Iowa, relatively small town and had to drive an hour to Iowa City to kind of get any of the records that I wanted as well. And so, you know, peer to peer and file sharing all things were like really important to me as a young person. But I think also because I grew up quite poor. And I kind of saw this software as like this playing field leveler where it was like, holy shit, if I can download this or like pirate this Adobe suite and I can learn how to use these tools, like I'm a graphic designer, you know, and if I can pirate FL Studio and like some drone sounds, like I'm a music producer. And that was really, really inspiring. And so I think um, back to my story, I grew up in Iowa. I, I again, kind of saw software and, and the internet as this playing field leveler and started kind of building eBay templates for like, you know, mo- friends' moms for money and like, you know, hacking together X carts and like WordPresses for other, you know, parents, little pop-up shops or stores and stumbled into like becoming a quote unquote software developer. And um, when I was 16, I moved from uh, Iowa to Los Angeles. And Whoa. I ended up going, yeah, 16? totally insane. And also, oh. yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, um, I ended up going to Beverly Hills High School wow. too, which was like the most extreme culture shock of all time. Holy shit! Like but the like the TV to, show. Is that what they went? Yeah. Oh, oh my fully. god! Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't West Beverly. This is just Beverly Hills okay. High, which I think um, was like a bit more diverse. But you still had these people whose parents were like you know, captains of industry. And you got to see that they were human beings also. And like coming from a place where in Iowa, like the dream was one day I could be like the football coach or like maybe a firefighter 
to like, wait, your dad started guest clothing? Like, that's great. And, you know, he's just a normal guy who probably is about as smart as I am. Like, maybe I could do those things. And so that was kind of my journey. It's like, I love software. I moved to LA and was like, you know, playing in hardcore bands and, and you know, hacking together websites. And when I moved there, it was like, oh, maybe you could do those things. And so, um, you know, went to university, bizarrely, on a football scholarship and quit halfway through because I wanted to just start this little web dev shop. And while I was doing that, I, I was making beats for fun and ended up getting signed to Interscope. And I think that's where like, you know, Dre and I have a bunch of overlap and that like, we're just kind of endlessly curious and have kind of lived across these different like media ecosystems that have been uh, corrosive at best <laughs> to like in my career, oh, you know? And, and so I think, you know, a lot of people just stopped there and said, I'm not going to dive into the business piece, but I, I wanted to learn more and started managing and producing and eventually um, started this current project um, called, called Brud, um, which, uh, you know, our dream is to kind of build a modern Disney or Marvel. And uh, we created a, a virtual character named Michaela who really interfaces with her fans the same way a celebrity like Rihanna or Katy Perry would, right? Via screens. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Michaela speaks... Mandarin and Portuguese and English and Spanish can be everywhere. And, you know, multiple. so we're kind of bringing this idea of, of scalable narr narrative in, in a time where I think there are more global issues than ever, whether it's climate or economic or pandemic. You know, if you can kind of create these, these narratives that can compel people to mobilize against some of these things and solve for these things, perhaps we could build a better world. And that's the dream. And I think, you know, building decentralized celebrities always at the end of that roadmap and we're getting closer every day. And, you know, I'm sure we'll kind of dive into some of that stuff. But that's the long and short of it. Cool. I'm a startup bro who made a little music at one point. <laughs> and now you are one of the people, I guess, behind Lil Michaela, the Instagram influencer star. Yeah, yeah. And I guess to give more context for those that aren't aware, Michaela has, you know, millions of Instagram followers, billboards in Times Square. She's one of Time Magazine's most influential people, is in like Samsung commercials, has all the trappings of an emergent celebrity. She's even signed to CAA, which is, you know, the premier <laughs> uh, talent agency in Los Angeles. She's our first virtual talent. But um, yeah, she uh, she is software. Wild. I actually wondered, like, pop stars are often criticized for being very manufactured. They have a team of people who are, you know, curating their outfits, their photos, what they say sometimes. And in this case, you just took out the person and you have this team, I guess, of really talented people. And you would have had to, in, in a way, put something else in. Is it an animation? Is it an animator? Is it yeah, a... Yeah, I mean, you could call it CGI. Um, you know, we basically have built this, this character, right, that, that lives inside of a game engine and is driven by a whole team. So instead of, like, you know, a K-pop factory kind of plucking some Korean teenager out of middle school, <laughs> you know, we effectively said, let's, let's kind of, like, push our talents through this lens. And, you know, I see a lot of that in cryptocurrency as well. Like, you know, you Toby Shoren's kind of headless brands thesis is, is kind of a wow. thing that we apply here. Like the sum of our parts can be bigger than um, if we kind of apply them through this vehicle. And I'd like to see, you know, a, a media applying some more of these kind of decentralized tactics That's to the awesome. properties they create. One one kind of question about Lil Michaela is, Lil Michaela interacts with the blockchain. So maybe what do you kind of view the future of the interactions between kind of virtual celebrities and blockchains looking like like do you do you view virtual celebrities as being controlled by a DAO or are they kind of chaos monkey type influencers or do you imagine it's like a DAO structure and like all the fans get to vote on decisions that the influencer makes 
I think the dream would be kind of that DAO model and things that we're exploring. You know, we've, we've often talked about like what, what a, the you know, future Disney or Marvel would look like. And to me, it is kind of like a decentralized Disney or Marvel. We almost have this global choose your adventure. And you could imagine governance tokens being used to like drive the decisions that a character is making. And the, the big kind of macro trend I see in media is this move from kind of more of a scripted broadcast medium where you have like a writer handing lines to Cary Grant who's delivering them. And there's a shift now to kind of like interactive, you know, I think like Cardi B and Lil Nas X are stars because they really understand how to have someone fire off a tweet or, you know, you know, clap at them and they can clap back mm-hmm. super quickly, right? It's, it's less scripted and less manufactured. And so having this kind of like hive mind, almost like, you know, you could imagine like the Link oh, Marines gosh. driving your <laughs> what character. What would that be? Or kind oh, of like... <laughs> They got political support this yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, you can imagine in some of these brands, like even like, you know, like the based community or something, if they had kind of a figure that they could kind of drive and make decisions for and kind of animate, you could imagine it having legs. And that's kind of a, a weird future that I see taking shape. I wonder as an experiment, like right now, this influencer, Lil Michaela is still, she, I guess I should say she, she's, is she a she? She is. She's she. She's been gendered by the world. (laughs) Okay. So she um, (laughs) is kind of built by a group, like a relatively small group of people, I guess. How many people are you? Are you like 20 or? Yeah. So I guess we're about 35 now. Oh, wow. We're bringing contractors here and there. So yeah, it's a, it's a decent size outfit. Four and a half years old now. You know, we've raised a bunch of venture and are trying to build this thing out. Cool. Are they like in that group, how are decisions being taken? Like, is there sort of a corporate structure behind the scenes? Is there a leader? Is it decentralized? Yeah, so it's probably a hybrid kind of like traditional corporate structure met with um, kind of almost like showrunner tactics, right? Where, um, if, I mean, that feels very commonplace in Hollywood, but for those of us who aren't, you know, writing Brooklyn Nine-Nine <laughs> or whatever, you kind of have a, a, a group of creative people in a room jamming on ideas and kind of landing on directions and kind of like macro arcs and then kind of like more granular narratives. And what we tried to do is, is think about things in a similar way where, the, you know, there is this kind of like grand thesis. It's almost like Marvel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michaela was created by this evil company and then we helped liberate her and we turned on her and she turned on mm-hmm. us. And oh, wow. there are all these... Yeah, all these narrative arcs that like fans carve out in fan wikis and stuff. But what we try to do is, kind of, like, you know, there are these macro arcs. Michaela is a sentient robot in the narrative. It's really a story of otherness, right? Like one that a lot of our, our teammates and like a lot of our, our company can like relate to. And we're trying to create empathy and tolerance by exploring these narratives of her not fitting in and, and wanting to contribute and, and wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen. And I think as a result, you know, those themes resonate quite well with young people and we've built an audience of primarily young people. And so in parallel, which one of the things we've wanted to do from the jump is like explore these different socio-political dynamics. And so she can be navigating a love triangle while also trying to figure out what the George Floyd protests mean and like making sense of it to a community that's looking to make sense mm-hmm. of these things. And that's, that's the opportunity of narrative, right? Like we are narrative driven beasts. And so if we can figure out how to create ones that can explore important themes, then maybe we can like outcompete some of like the Logan Paul stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't isn't his hasn't he been canceled? I thought he was canceled. I don't know. Recently. I feel like it happens every other. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andre, I want to kind of go back to your story a little bit. And you've been working with NFTs specifically, mm-hmm. right? Already. Was that the first thing that you did in the blockchain space that connected your music to 
the tech or was was there something else before that? So in, in 2017, I actually got in touch with this, this group called Ujo Music. At, they were part of Consensus, you know, uh, Joe Lubin's like yeah, incubator, yeah. if you want to think about it that way. Uh, I was actually a part-time Consensus employee for a while. It's kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I, I had was a lot a, of people back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I was a, uh, my official title was Artist in Residence, um, which was kind of funny. Wow. Um, but I, I was really just working with the Ujo guys. And we, my, my whole approach is like, oh, well, I had an album that was about to come out. And I was like, okay, like, how do I integrate? How do I use this, basically? Because, like, I, I see the future. How do I make it happen? You know, it's like, how do I at least start a conversation about this? So our approach was, let's basically just release the album through a smart contract, you know, in addition to everything else. It wasn't like exclusive, but it's like, okay, let's, let's set up a smart contract where if you deposit X amount of ETH, you get like a download link for, for oh, the cool. record. So like a very simple idea. Right. Um, yeah. but in practice, you know, getting people to download MetaMask and getting <laughs> yeah. ETH and Coinbase and, and transferring it over and adding, totally. you know, custom token, like all, all that stuff that, you know, Obviously, it was a little bit tricky, but it, it started a, a really interesting conversation about it, and and I probably got more press around that than than the album itself. So, uh, uh, <laughs> just as a quick side note, I'll, I'll get to the NFT stuff in a second. But I, I remember very vividly being in Japan on tour doing press with like a translator. It was like nine hours of press, and and this uh, poor poor woman, she had to translate all these questions about Ethereum like through a Japanese tra like a <laughs> Japanese translator. It was like uh, she, she was a pro by the end. She was like, "I got this. Don't worry about it." it like um, the real question is, did she go and buy any NFTs after? I don't know. Once, once <laughs> I hope so. But, but okay, so so in that process, you know, this was it was just a simple download, right? But in that process, we decided to give everybody an ERC twenty token as a commemorative thing. It was called the Ego mm -hmm. Token because the album was called Ego. So we gave everybody an Ego Token. Um, and, you know, ERC-721 didn't exist at the time. So, but the idea was the same. It was like, it's just a, a collector thing. Like you, you were there, you were, you were part of that first experiment, you know? So that was really the first kind of experiment with NFTs that, uh, that I've played with, even though it wasn't technically an NFT, you know, but then the bear market happened, you know? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. But uh, everyone yeah, kinda, started to jump ship. That's yeah. when this podcast started, actually. Oh, yeah. Good, great <laughs> or, timing. Or started nice. properly. Like January 2018 was when this started to come out every week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we lived through that. Well, I mean, like uh, that actually probably was a good time because then you got the real people. You didn't get the people that were For just sure. riding the wave. Right. So um, totally. it was it was actually funny because at the beginning it was almost like, you know, we had to push people away at the doors because it was still a little bit of the bull market. And then after a while, like people just weren't coming to the right. doors anymore. And we're like, oh, wait, okay, okay. But I think it made us all work harder. So I think it was a good thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm happy to make friends in, in the bear market versus the bull market because like you only make false friends flag friends, I guess. In, in, Not in only, <laughs> a lot of. So, so yeah, and in, obviously in the midst of all that, like I became pretty obsessed with DeFi and like, well, what we call now DeFi. So MakerDAO, Uniswap. Like I remember seeing that like Vitalik's paper first explaining the concept of Uniswap before Uniswap became Uniswap. And it was like, this is amazing, you know, because I, I hated Ether Delta and like all that other order book type of decentralized exchanges. So uh, anyway, I became kind of interested in that. And then fast forward a couple of years, it, actually in 2020, it was I, I did this project called uh, the Tape Token with these uh, Zora guys. So the whole concept was 
let's take like a limited edition good. So like a, uh, you know, a, a piece of merch, basically <laughs> a cassette tape of, of my album. And let's, let's essentially put it on a market and see what happens. So there's only a hundred copies and we basically put it on Uniswap and, uh, I don't know what I expected, but you know, we started the price at $20 and it went up to like 950 on the first day or something. So the, the irony of a, a cassette tape selling for $950 in 2020 is, is not <laughs> lost on me, but, 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 but it actually ended up peaking at 400 or 4,000 or I think 4,200 was was sort of the the high not 42 not wow. 42069 really? i wish i wish uh <laughs> no it, it, so it, it actually for a moment in time became the most expensive cassette tape of all time so it was <laughs> we beat prince what did it beat uh, out prince actually i think this is oh. unofficially by the way so i'm not going to claim that you know i don't have like the actual record okay. but you know just kind of a funny quirk good. of you know how markets work but but this idea of applying a market to something that's scarce is like super fascinating and letting price discovery happen and then you know basically when somebody redeems that token it burns the token and then you get mailed a cassette but it also reduces the supply, which makes the curve even steeper. So like, I mean, it's, it's what Unisox has been doing and it's like uh, the St. Fame project as well. So certainly wasn't the first, but um, I, I've been super fascinated with all this stuff. I love to experiment with it. You mentioned the project. Uh, it's Zora. Yes. Our Zora. I know it's on Twitter. What like I haven't had them on the show. What what are they? What you is should, that? You should have them on the show. They're, uh, Definitely. Jacob cool. is, a, is a, a genius, I think. I think it's fair to say. Uh, in the whole team, this whole team's amazing. Um, so Zora started out as like a platform for that concept of applying market dynamics to scarce goods. Like that was the first, okay. that was like Zora V1 basically. And, and there was even a couple of competitors like Foundation kind of did something similar. And it, I think it's a super interesting idea, but they, they've kind of changed recently. They've pivoted to something else, uh, w which entirely, which is their... I hope I get this right because it's kind of it's very broad and very all-encompassing. But basically, they're they're trying to be a format for all media. Like they're basically trying to NFT everything. So, wow. and, and Trevor, feel free to jump in here because I know you you're into this. Perfect. That's far. I feel like this uh, is great. Yeah, uh, we're, we we kind of work with them pretty closely. But uh, so so the the whole approach is that they want they want to make turn everything into an NFT and they're calling it crypto media. So just anything, it could be a word, it could be an emoji, it could be anything is ownable and, and tradable. But I think one of the really interesting innovations that they've created is um, this idea of the NFT having the market built into the NFT itself, as opposed to being siloed and super on super rare or rareable or all these other different platforms. Mm -hmm. So it's like all these other platforms have to feed into the NFT itself, which if you really think about it makes total sense. I mean, it's totally. sort of how it should be in my, in my view. So like the, the way that they talk about it is almost so like grandiose and like, because it, it's that's the scope of it. It could be it could be kind of everything. Yeah, and to me, it also reminds me of like when I had uh, like, like a like a handspring visor or like some of these er early kind of like Palm Pilot style devices, and there were these like open app stores, and like curation obviously was the killer feature of like the the, I of the iPhone app store. And I think like what you're going to see is like marketplaces, uh, you know, basically becoming like great editors, right? Because like what is the skill set? The marketplace is actually built into the, the, the NFT itself. It's finding great people and curating because there is a ton of stuff out there. Totally. A lot of garbage. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, that's actually a really good point. And I didn't think about that where the NFT platforms that I, you know, I've had a couple on and I know a, f- a few others, they are, are they existing in, really in a siloed way? I mean, I know, especially if you have NFTs on different blockchains, then I can imagine they are in, like siloed. But if they're all built on like the ERC standards, are they still unchangeable depending well, on the platform? They're, they're compatible, but you have to like, you, you have to move them around. You know what I mean? It's a manual I process. See. So if like, for if something's on super rare, you can only buy it on super rare. And you have to move it to OpenSea uh, to be able to buy and sell it, uh, okay. or or uh, or you have to move it to Rarible. And and they're not they're not fully compatible yet. For example, like they all have their own set of standards in terms of uh, like r- royalties that go back to the original creator, like things like that. So mm. I, I see this what Zora is trying to do is sort of upgrade the NFT, you know, um, where yeah, sort of building the market into the NFT itself. It, it just makes sense. Trevor, I would love to hear your interaction with both Zora and just the NFT space, because it sounds like you're like there's also a connection point there. Sure. I mean, I, I have to give Dre a ton of credit. I think like, you know, it's funny when you're when you're running a startup, like 99 percent of my life is kind of sucked into startup land. And, you know, I was like I had a couple groups of kind of like crypto traders who were all really excited about like the, the opportunities that we all read about. I suppose, you know, the kind of first NFT style conversations or even kind of like the first blockchain stuff that I read. I'm kind of like a 2012, 2013 guy. They got like panic sold up and like panic (laughs) sold up and down and was kind of treating it more as like a speculative way of like, you know, making some quick cash. I wish I could say I was like, you know, as big brain as others that saw the long term vision. But um, all it is to say, like I was in some groups with friends, a lot of them in media who were like trying to make a living and found that like trading crypto was one way to do it. And um, along the way, you know, I was hearing things about DeFi, always excited about Ethereum, but didn't have the time to like dive deep into the rabbit hole. And like, you know, finally caught back up with Dre and he started kind of breaking down some like the MakerDAO stuff. You know, my friend Calvin was at Compound. You know, I started catching up with him about that stuff and it just started to click, right? And so I got sucked into the DeFi rabbit hole, I guess like relatively early. And the NFT piece, again, I think I feel like I got into it a bit late. Like I think... I come from a world like where I work with a lot of friends who are like contemporary artists, like real fine artists. And what I saw in NFTs and what I still kind of see now is like kind of more collectibles. So when they were described to me as like fine art, I was like, this is, this is garbage. (laughs) I wouldn't buy this stuff, you know? And then it kind of made sense to me where I saw almost like what I saw in YouTubers. And people were like, YouTube is going to replace Hollywood. And I was like, these are different things. But they're both equally valuable. Like, you know, I don't know. Liza Koshy is, is not Tom Cruise. And that's, that's important. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of see NFTs as, you know, I, I think, um, I don't know, uh, Beeple is not Jordan Wolfson or something. And that's okay. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And so for me, where I got really excited was when actually Jacob and the Zora team started talking about the opportunities that NFTs can create, uh, for people that are creating media. Because I think, you know, Drake spoke this a bit in the beginning as well. I, I kind of was old enough to know, and you mentioned an era of scarcity in music, especially when you had to pay a premium for a CD to get, you know, one song filled with like 18 filler or whatever <laughs> it was. And then the internet, obviously opening all of it and, and being able to access all this incredible music, but then driving the value of that stuff down to the point where I, when I was a recording artist, you know, it was really tough to make a living. And you, I kind of live between those, those, those two, like that, that duality, like you have one or the other. And I actually joined Spotify in 2010 and helped build it with this idea of like maybe creating an ecosystem that could like be more rewarding for artists. And I'm not sure that we nailed it. Candidly, looking back, 
back at it. Mm. And when, when Jacob was kind of exploring this idea of a, a blockchain being kind of this source of truth, almost in the same way that the Louvre is, you can kind of have this phenomena that you kind of only really see around like public art, where the Mona Lisa is maybe one of the most reproduced images in the world. Both reproductions don't drive down the value. They actually drive up the value yeah. because you understand the one in the Louvre to be the actual one of one. And so this idea to me of having a blockchain act as like the Louvre for all of the stuff that we create and then the reproductions living on TikTok or Instagram or Spotify or whatever it is and driving that value up to the NFT, which then can be resold and value passed back to the creator forever is like really, really exciting to me. And I think it really is a game changer. And so that's why I think like, you know, Dre and myself and Blau and other friends are trying to spread the good gospel and like make this paradigm shift to reality. It's funny with NFTs because when I first came across them, my my issue is like, what would I do with it? What would I do with this thing that I've spent cryptocurrency on? And it lives in a wallet potentially that I don't get to show. It's sort of sitting there. But I, I think where it sort of changed for me was thinking about something I already love, some piece of content I already love, some show I love, some creator I love. And then it's like, if you've ever really been a fan and really liked something a lot, you like I've gone out and found books and found like extra things around that. I guess what that means is you still need to have an audience. Like there still needs to be like an audience of people who want what you're doing. It's not that because this platform exists, you create something it's inevitably going to sell. <laughs> right. Even if it's beautiful, there has to be almost like something else a little bit around it. And I wonder like you're, I mean, Trevor, you're working with like the influencer space. That's so typical for that, where it's like something quite innocuous, but if it's connected to an influencer, might be something valuable to people. Like, is this something you're thinking of playing with? It's funny. Again, I was talking about this with another buddy of mine. I think like, and I was kind of raised in nightclubs, you know, like I was this DJ and you start to like, you just, you know, I think via osmosis, just take on this idea of status games as being like the, the, the macro game. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, Actually, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the director, but like post the Godfather talking about human beings seeing themselves as like the star in their own film. I now think we see ourselves as like the star in our own MMORPG <laughs> where we're collecting likes oh and follows <laughs> and other things and like trading them for love or fortune, you know, whatever it is. And so if you kind of uh, abstract that into like the influencer stuff, like it made so much sense for me that, okay, if like what we actually care about are these like points, follows, likes, whatever, we can create a vehicle to capture those points and likes, uh, you know, in a way that, uh, you know, a traditional celebrity never could. And in the same way, if you can kind of like, uh, you know, abstract those, that status game onto a blockchain, all of a sudden you have this way of like displaying all of this value wow. in kind of a more logical way. Almost to the point where, like, you know, Mark Cuban's, um, you know, crypto wallet leaked yesterday. <laughs> and I sent, and I sent him some of like our, I have a, a community called FWB and we have a crypto token, a social token. And I sent it to his wallet and I got a bunch of screenshots to be like, yo, Mark Cuban holds FWB, <laughs> you know? And so all of a sudden there's like this very visible way wow. to kind of like monitor the status game, participate in best, and best marketing dollars ever spent. Yeah. There but it is. But Tarun, Tarun, you mentioned this on another episode actually about like people watching people's wallets and it's like following what they're doing completely whether or not it makes any sort of financial sense but that's a form of marketing <laughs> I, I, in itself for sure there's definitely this like copy trading type thing but i think people actually one of the most monetizable uses of ens domains so far has been 
you know, someone like Dejen Spartan, who's this kind of DeFi overlord <laughs> influencer master. I don't know what I don't know what other overlord sounds right. <laughs> yeah. And he has this huge following of people who just like copy anything he does or, or just do t- trade any on any advice he gives them. So he just has degenspartan.eth where he publicly just posts trades because he knows that people will just, you know, copy copy pasta them. And I think what, what Trevor did is a different form of this kind of psyops except with with a little bit more uh, marketing panache. <laughs> <laughs> um have you like cuz I actually I want to at some point talk about the tokens as well. It sounds like you both have also been experimenting with your own tokens and what that would mean in an artist to like to an artist, but before we kind of move away from NFTs, I I kind of want to finish off that that topic and think like where do you actually see these going? Do you see this as something that will eventually actually reach the mainstream? Will people care about the fact that there's potentially like a physical item with an NFT attached to it? Will they be ready to co- collect just the digital form? Yeah, I, I do think it will. It, it'll definitely grow from here. My gut feeling is that the younger generation, are, this is already normal to them. You know, like a lot of these concepts, like of collecting CSGO skins or, or you know, Fortnite skins and like that that kind of idea of, of digital collectibles is already pretty ingrained. I mean, the art side of it, maybe it'll, it'll take some time, but like, I feel like it's so small right now that it mm-hmm. can only grow. It can only get bigger. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think it's going to get smaller, you know? <laughs> Um, the, the one thing to, to say about NFTs, that at least maybe from an artist's perspective, is that I think Trevor kind of touched on this, is that it's, this is a different thing. This is a different medium. This is like what, what I like about NFTs is that I'm leaning into it as a, as what's unique about this medium and how do I like play with that as a creator, you know? So what, what I'm doing is maybe, you know, I'm collaborating with visual artists and, and, and writing music and instru- or instrumental loops with like, a, you know, a, a scene, uh, kind of like a diorama, like, it's, you know, it's sort of like just something you look at. It's, it's very easy to, you know, look on a screen. It's kind of made for it. And, and I, I'm trying to be as creative as possible within that medium and trying to, uh, at least from my perspective, trying to elevate it and, and trying to, you know, just do my best at, at that thing because there's nowhere else where you can do that, you know, or where, where it's worth doing, you know, like, yes, I could maybe do it for Instagram, but I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't get anything out of it. So like, I, I think that side of it is going to continue to develop. And I, I think it will fragment into all these different pockets and yeah, there's maybe going to be the fine art model over here then there's going to be the collectible model over here and there's going to be like the game skins down here you know i i I think it'll just kind of continue to progress and and fragment i guess yeah i i couldn't agree more i think the thing i talk about a lot with my team and other people is i just think like largely value is shifting from like meat space irl to virtual you know like when i used to get ready for the first day of school i would try to look my best so i can impress like a and a 400 or whatever but now if you wear a nice outfit, you take a picture and put it on Instagram so you could touch millions potentially, right? And so like, where is the actual value of that outfit? Most of it's shifted online. And I think you're going to see a lot of that, you know, reflected in all different types of media. I do think, you know, it's easy to kind of connect the physical to the NFT early on. But I actually think that's like one of those things. It, it feels like almost like reading a book on the radio mm. early on. Like, <laughs> you're gonna be, like, it's just like porting a format. Like, I think, you know, with Tinder... 
the the dopamine hit isn't the actual date like it's the match mm -hmm. wow. right and i and i think that's the part that people need to optimize for is that if you can build great on-chain stuff the the off-chain stuff i think like you don't even need to worry about and so i i'm a big believer i think you're you're seeing more folks kind of explore these things in ways that, that make sense to them i think dre with the kind of diorama style stuff makes sense i'm super narrative-y so even in the michaela nft that we sold for like you know almost a hundred thousand dollars there was a bunch of narrative stuff woven in that, almost like Easter eggs that tie back in, into her world. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be able to explore this space. I think the Zora innovation is going to be a very big one. And we're watching people pour in day by day. I mean, there was a Mark Cuban NFT yesterday like <laughs> no. doing a funny dance or something. <laughs> what was the Michaela one? What was the NFT? Yeah, so um, it was a super rare collaboration. Uh, effectively, it was like a, a video with some music, actually an amnesia scanner remix of one of her songs. And there was a bit of like a, an alpha leak hidden inside mm. this little glitch or whatever oh, it is. An and Easter so, egg. Or yeah, an alpha so leak. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there, there are some different things kind of woven inside of it. But you can you can check out little Michaela.eth and, and kind of look at the, the NFT that she minted. Do you think, I mean, on that on what you just said, though, do you think that like, I think it's obvious things need to be much more usable, but is there anything in particular that you would say to like folks developing NFT standards, working with NFTs that you think really needs to be there for there to be adoption? Have you ever had some idea where you're like, man, if it was just here or there or this way, then it would be easier for people to actually engage with it. Uh, my biggest gripe is the file size and that, that's sort of a technical limitation. Um, so it's it's limited to either 50 megabytes or 100 megabytes, depending on the platform. And that, that's extremely limited for especially for video. Wow. So it's actually informed the, the format itself. You know, like the reason why there are short loops is because of the size. So so okay. that's like a technical limitation that I would love to get over. To me, there's like so many Web3 basics. Like, you know, we have this this community, Friends of Benefits, you know, fwb.help if folks at home want to check it out. But like, I'm trying to onboard friends all the time and they're like, wait, I can't see the tokens in my MetaMask. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh fuck, of course. You have to add this custom token. Like you forget all oh, of the yeah. friction and how foreign that stuff felt pretty early on. And I think just getting to the basics, like, you know, removing some of that friction would be would be huge. For I, I've actually, totally. one approach that I've taken is just uh, pushing people to like wallets like Rainbow that sort of support NFTs natively and they use Wallet Connect. Yeah. So it's like pretty easy. Um, that, that's been my approach because a lot of my audience is not crypto native. So, you know, that you, every, every community kind of has to tackle it their own way, you know? Yeah, I was actually going to, I was going to ask about like, what do you see as the future of wallets um, for NFTs? Because I, I, I still think, yeah, I mean, other than Rainbow, there's not really anything that's close to, to usable for, for like, you know, my mom as the standard, not to insult you, mom, but you know, you kind of are the, the standard for, 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 for like, if you can use this, then I think like we've hit, we've hit, we've hit takeoff. Uh, yeah. But actually, it, to that point, you know, I think one of the things that made DeFi take off was MetaMask and Etherscan really mm -hmm. like getting to the point that they were usable by people who didn't know what a Merkle hash was <laughs> or like what transactions were or like how the guess was. Um, so like, what do you view as the things that other than wallets that will like kind of get adoption, like, like it, it like increase adoption, like something like Etherscan, right, is like a vanity plate. Right. Uh, this, this, the Jen Spartan thing, where is everyone reading copy trading him? They're going to Etherscan <laughs> looking at his profile, so right? Or, 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 Weirdest Nansen or marketing platform ever. <laughs> right. But it, it, it's really, it's really, it, it, it is what it is. Right. So yeah. what do you kind of view as like the vanity plate 
thing that will like get NFTs, you know, to the masses. Because I kind of feel like there still needs to be something where it's like, look at my, you know, what what does Michaela need to like to get that? I actually think this is funny for me for like NFT specifically. Again, it's like all kind of informed by like my nightclub brain. Like whenever someone buys a five thousand dollar bottle of champagne, there are all these sparklers, and they're like, "Oh God, I hate that they do this." But yeah, how embarrassing! But I did buy a five thousand dollar bottle of champagne. Look at how awesome I am, right? And so, like, you can imagine if if we had kind of more social, kind of like day to day spaces where you had to like log in with uh, your wallet that was tied to some you know ENS dress or whatever, and you could be like, wow, like you know, Tarun, you're so cool, and whoa, you have this people for a million, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh god, I hate that. Yeah, I just this, I use this wallet to log in, but also you know, because you need that dynamic of like walking into someone's home and being like, is yeah. that a Picasso? I mean, like this thing, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that kind of passive stuff would be helpful. You actually bring up one point I have on our list of questions, something about NFT and privacy. And I wasn't sure how to work it in until just now. Mm-hmm. So you like this idea of having something attached to your address permanently, if it's something of value, cool. But what if at some point you don't want that to be attached to you? I guess you could <laughs> always start a new wallet or try to like do a mixer and get get it hidden somehow. But like that is actually... Like attaching these things permanently, like optically connecting them so people can actually tell that you ha- you own this thing. That's interesting. I, I only buy NFCs on my public ENS for that reason, because it's like publicly known. That's who I am. I don't think anybody copied. I don't trade on it. So like, no, <laughs> nobody's copying my trades. But like, yeah, I, I'm pretty conscious about that because I, I don't want. Yeah. You know, I want a certain degree of sort of privacy. And, and <laughs> if uh, this is not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and actually, I guess you can't steal NFTs, but I'm just like one like. Like the same way people don't walk around necessarily like broadcasting their wallet addresses unless they're comfortable with everybody looking at what's in their wallet address, mm-hmm. um, especially on the personal front. I just I wonder because there's like the luxury expose that's like the the showcasing, hey, I have something cool. But also, yeah, it's usually tied to something financial and it's potentially like, I don't know, a bit of a vulnerability to an individual. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's funny, like, if you go out in the world, people drive half a million dollar sports cars and, like, wear $100,000, like, these are targets, like, rob me, you know, like, that's, that's, but the trade-off is... This is how we know you live in L.A. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, my L.A. mush brain is like, what do you mean? Where they drive? That doesn't happen happen to you guys? but I do think we've got this kind of like this kind of like old money crypto thing where like the new money idiots are going to come in and be like flaunting. And I think that's got its own type of gravitational pull. And I, I think that may suck more and more people into the space. And as dark as it sounds, like Instagram followers define what actors get cast and what musicians get remixes and X, Y, and Z. I, there's probably a dark future where it's like the NFTs you collected and like the status of your wallet defines like what other access you get. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, it, it is it, dark. It, it is rough. kind of a dark future, right? But like, if you know that that's the game that you're playing, you sort of just maybe just accept it and play it. Uh, I I don't know, or opt out completely. I don't know. <laughs> totally. Or or like all cultural shifts, there's always like a pushback to those things. Like I always think of like the '80s as being very flashy. And then the 90s yeah. is being very subdued and mm-hmm. like actually being the underdog was way cooler and being glossy and shiny was gross. And when you look at a lot of the Instagram stuff, it's super glossy and shiny. 
and I'm just waiting for like alternative yeah. rock to come you back want Kurt Cobain. You want Kurt that. Cobain exactly. part two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Actually, one question maybe related to that is is you know there there are two the the dual side of privacy is maybe DeFi type of stuff. What how do you view kind of like DeFi and interacting with uh, kind of NFTs and and do you, do you feel like there's a sense in which, you know, one of the big missing pieces is an exchange or one of the big missing pieces is lending. Because, you know, I think if you make the analogy of NFT to art, um, there's a lot of like finance and art. And if you make the analogy of NFTs to collectibles, it's very different, right? And so somehow, because DeFi has been successful and you guys have kind of used both DeFi products and worked on making these tokens... Where do you actually see kind of the intersection and where do you see things that like work for, you know, fungible assets that you're like, I don't think anyone's ever going to care to do this. And can I, uh, can I make a prediction? Uh, I, I don't do yeah, this very often. I'll, I'll make a prediction that uh, MakerDAO will add NFTs as collateral at some point in the future. Will it be something well, else? Maybe it'll be something else. <laughs> well, yeah. well, there's an irony here, though, because CDPs themselves are technically ERC-712s, so... like cdps are implemented as an nft like you can't can't weird uh, so So, but yeah but you know what i mean like they all have their own risk parameters i'm not saying it would be 150 percent like eth but maybe it would be 500 percent. i don't know like but being able to borrow against your assets is not a foreign concept so like you know if there's like proven track record in a public blockchain of of like price action it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. Now, I do see them as pretty interconnected. So that, that's to me is maybe the the low-hanging fruit. There's a couple other projects that are, are I feel like I'm shilling my own bags, but NFTX, I think it's a pretty interesting one. Definitely. I don't I don't even yes, know if I fully I was, understand I, I'm it. Happy, but... <laughs> I'm happy you said it, so I didn't have to say it because I just invested in it, so I don't want to be shilled. Yes. So I don't want to be I, I own a small amount <laughs> to be completely transparent, um, but, yeah. but uh, you know, for a reason, because I think it's interesting. <laughs> I think NFTX could be in MakerDAO, right? Like, there, yeah. it actually seems like the, the vaults could make it to MakerDAO, which is, what, which is actually kind of cool because it blends NFTs, urine vaults, and, like, tradable asset into one thing which is kind of like that's like take all the buzzwords of the last 12 months and put them into a box <laughs> and like it works yeah, right buddy, it's running <laughs> totally a buddy of mine told me he invested in like a, a, a like a sports cards fund like a trading card fund Whoa. that like <laughs> wow because in like infinite money printer world like sports cards and like pokemon cards are like mooning also oh, and no. so this guy created a fund and you have to imagine that, like, you're going to see a lot of those types of behaviors happening on chain mm-hmm. as well. G- like... GameStop is now known as a, a tra- <gasps> uh, NFT trading firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the GME synthetic. Oh, oh man! So. I mean, hey, hey, there's a bunch already on chain, so yeah. Oh yeah. There it is. It's amazing. (laughs) So you you both mentioned tokens. Let's talk a little bit about those. So there is the RAC token. Yes. Is there Trevor? What's the token that you you've created or have? FWB, our community token, friends with benefits. Oh yes. So what like how did these come about? Are they? Is this a recent phenomenon? Is this something that's been around for a while? How how did you go about doing this? Um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, (laughs) So I, you know, obviously I saw the ICO boom in 2017, got a little bit sketched out by tokens. I think a lot of people did where it was like, okay, maybe this isn't the right mechanism, you know, but then in DeFi summer, I was like, okay, tokens are back. You know, this is a, 
like th- there's vesting now. It's like, oh my God, there's a, this, you know, people are. <laughs> well, yeah, totally. They figured <laughs> yeah, it out. Like, you don't dump it all on the market the day of launch. Yeah. Like maybe that's not a good idea. I feel like we're learning all the, all the lessons from like corporate structures, but like the hard way. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's a lot faster. It took like hundreds of years. Now it's only taking, you know, you know like, a few hours of degeneracy. <laughs> so, okay. So the, in that context, like I'm watching, you know, all, all of these, uh, you know, all these projects like launch governance tokens and they're, they're really taking off. It's really interesting. That's creating these network effects. This is really interesting, like a, as a form of like bringing people together and aligning people and, and, you know, cr- just aligning incentives basically. So, okay, this is, <clears throat> this is super interesting. In the meantime, COVID is happening. I'm not on tour, uh, touring industry imploded. I'm on Twitch uh, streaming three times a week. I'm on Patreon. So like I, uh, I had a fan base already, but now, um, now they're in discord and now they're, they're, they're talking to each other. This community is forming and like, this is amazing. This is, I, I couldn't have predicted this. Like, uh, it, it turns out they have like a lot more in common than just me. So, so like, uh, like I don't even need to exist for that to continue. And, and, that, and that's pretty cool. I think so in, in that context, you know, I'm seeing all these, all, all these projects, you know, kind of evolved. And the example I, I like to give is, you know, if people can rally around a decentralized exchange, you know, what, what happens when you apply it to something cultural, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, nothing against Uniswap. It's amazing, but like, it's kind of bland, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's not the coolest thing on earth, you know, for most people. So, so, so like if you apply that to something cultural and in, on a small scale, I mean, I'm not like a major artist or anything like that. So like, I think that that's a pretty interesting place to go. So my whole approach is let me create a token around the community itself and um, basically airdrop it to them. Get, give it to, I gave a token to everybody that supported me over the years. So every Patreon subscriber, every, every person that bought merch in like 2009 from Bandcamp, like, uh, like uh, they probably got like an email, like what, what the hell is this token? You know, it's like, <laughs> what are we talking about here? So, that's still cool. so, so the idea was like, okay, let me get the people that actually supported me. L- let me create, try to create a community around it, onboard them, go through those pain points of yeah, adding custom tokens to MetaMask and like all of that, and and kind of learn from it, and and then start to develop it into something bigger than that. But the the main idea that that I the way that I think about it is like fan club of the future, where you actually own a part of it. And um, I mean, actually, the, it's the timeliness of this kind of interesting with Discord shutting down Wall Street bets and and, uh, you know, really? Discord was one of the good guys. And now they're like kind of like it's like, oh, OK, uh, interesting now protecting some hedge funds. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So but, you know, throughout this entire process and uh, I'm sure Trevor's experiences as well, like. You know, I come from the MySpace era. I built an audience there and then that fell apart. And then I went to Facebook and that fell apart. And at, at one point in time, they always switch it on you where it's like, hey, this audience that you built, they came for you. Um, actually, we're going to charge you for that. And now you have to pay yeah. to reach them. So I'm like, ah, that's not fun. I I, I don't like that. I, I, you know, I mean, there, there's a balance there, of course. Like, I'm not expecting anything, everything for free. Anyway, the, the whole approach is like, let, let me create sort of a layer on top of this. And I, I see the token as as like a mechanism for that, where if Discord really goes full uh you know full authoritarian we could just switch to something else and we still have the token you know and you have the token so, and they have it in their self-hosted wallets probably exactly so they, so, they have so they have it forever 
So, so th- huh. that's the core yeah. idea, and you know, we're just building from there. So that's the first iteration of it. Yeah, I think both of us kind of see this as like connective tissue, this layer that can kind of like hold us together in like a internet that's constantly kind of collapsing on itself or kind of like pushing your fans away from you. Um, my, my idea was just kind of simple. You know, there's this kind of like classic Silicon Valley trope of like the only way to make money is through bundling and unbundling. And we kind of go through these loops, right? And I think we're kind of in this unbundling phase with, with creators where they're all like, I'm going to create a Substack or an OnlyFans okay. or a Patreon or whatever it is. And there starts to be these diminishing returns for creators where all of a sudden there's so much competition and they're like, fuck, this was sweet at the beginning. But like, wouldn't it be cool if a bunch of us Substack people like came together and we all wrote a Substack together, you know, got some magazine, right? Like we're kind of back to the beginning. And so to me, this idea of the creator economy is compelling and really exciting, but we have to build like more collectivist tools if we want these things to sustain. And so the simple premise for FWB, Friends with Benefits, is that like social networks uh, are valuable because of the content the members create, right? Like we post Instagrams, we fucking post tweets or whatever it is. So if we created this gated discord that required X amount of an FWB token. And there was a fixed amount of token over t- over time. As we created value for that network and more people wanted to join, there'd be more demand pressure, which would drive the price up. And we'd all be able to participate in the upside of the value we were creating. And it was just like a weekend lull. Maybe I can ship something like this. And like, you know, what's cool is like the, the social token Legos are kind of there, right? It's like minted a token on roll, used collab land and discord and was like, would anybody be down for this? And like invited some friends. Now you have this really active community full of everyone from like Holly Herdman and DJ Dahi to, you know, like all, uh, DeFi folks and, you know, everyone in between. And so it's, it's been this like interesting community of crypto and culture that are talking about a lot of things that we're talking about day to day and, and trying to solve them for each other. Are you, I mean, this sounds like the future. It's, it's, awesome and crazy and experimental. But I do wonder, like, given what we've seen in the last week, this, by the way, is being recorded the week of the GameStop <laughs> fiasco. Yeah. GameStop. <laughs> um, like, are you not worried that, like, what if you get pump and dumped? What if some group of traders come into your community and start to just, like, play with you and market manipulate these things that are, that, like, represent your community? That, that's certainly a concern. I, I, I guess like, it's not like an immediate concern for me personally, just because it's a relatively small project in the context of a lot of other ones, but maybe that, that would be the prime, <laughs> maybe this would be sort of the prime uh, use case because it'd probably be easy to move things around, but I don't see that. I don't know. I guess like, I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried about it at the moment. Well, I guess I'll cross that bridge yeah. if, if it comes. It also sounds like it's still like, this is still an experimental phase, right? Like this is something that you're both playing with. Trevor, when did you actually create this token? God, like, what is time in COVID? I feel like it's just <laughs> But it was this year, or was it like... It, it, it was, I think, probably like five and a half, six months okay, ago. Okay, okay, okay. It, it could be like three months ago at this point. And, you know, we've got, I think, close to a thousand folks, you know, a bunch of really active members. I think the most important piece for me, I think you read a lot of crypto stuff, and it's just like, align the financial incentives and things <laughs> go. Yes. And, like, I think you really have to build a community and establish an ethos, like... We almost never have price discussion about the token in the, in the community. Like it's 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 about other things. And if we were supposed to have like a horde of people come in and manipulate the price, people would probably be like, I don't know. The utility is I get to hang out with you guys in here, and so like that's all like <laughs> t- tied into me owning fifty five of these things. So like yeah, whatever. It, it, the same thing kind of happened with with me where um, so I airdropped it. You know, 
like they got it for free essentially. I mean, I guess they, it was sort of based loosely on on how much money they had, you know, given me over time with the Patreon and whatever. But you know, there were people that through price appreciation basically, you know, got airdropped like twenty or thirty thousand dollars, <laughs> and <laughs> and it's like. Uh, you know, like no talk about price. They're like, yeah, cool, whatever. Like we just, we just want to, you know, we see the value here and we, we appreciate it. And like, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, we want to be a part of the community and, and like, it's, it's more valuable than just like trying to dump it, you know, and like piecing out from the, you know, like, I think people are starting to realize the value of equity and you kind of alluded to this, but this is, I feel like this is part of a larger movement towards smaller communities, more tight knit communities versus these like large platforms, you know, I mean, those will always exist, but yeah, the, the discord, the more, you know, niche Trevor, what's that, uh, squad, uh, squad wealth. Yeah. Squad wealth, uh, like <laughs> that post or whatever we've talked about before. Yeah. It's just like these smaller groups of people that are kind of aligned around like one thing. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I just see that, you know, continuing, I guess. Totally. I mean, this podcast, right. this podcast and the community around it, it's pretty narrow. It's, it's not a massive market, but there's a really good group of people who want to talk about zero knowledge proof research, blockchain tech. Which we haven't really talked about very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this isn't a specifically zero. I don't know how ZKPs completely interact with the NFT world. Well, getting over the file size limit. Getting over oh, the file size limit. That's, that's going to be the way to do it. I think, you could use ZKPs for compression oh, in a way. Like the proof that the entire thing is accurate, but all you need to submit is the proof. Yeah. And the proof can be relatively small, depending on the ZKP. We solved it on the pod, boys. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think like competing layer ones and layer twos probably think of it that way yeah. in some ways. I just haven't like actually seen anyone put out a design because like everyone who works in ZKP land is a little like, they're far away from the far from culture. Hey, I mean, it's you're like talking used... to the ZKP people. <laughs> no, I mean, like the researchers and like developers. For me, they don't really like. I feel like they're very. Uh, they're a lot more hermit-like than most people in crypto the cryptocurrency space. So okay, uh, like so. <laughs> so could you potentially okay? So like right now we're using IPFS for for storage, and that's really kind of where the limitation is. So if all you need is a proof. Uh, you could store the proof on IPFS and have the file stored on BitTorrent or like anything, any other kind yeah, of Yeah, basically backed up any, any in multiple places. Which, like, I mean, I guess, like, is there a chance that if it's on BitTorrent, we're just going to solve this right now, guys. Like, uh, <laughs> you might be able to skip IPFS yeah. too. Wouldn't you be able to skip IPFS in that case? Uh, you, you could, you could skip IPFS. And, but you would need somewhere where it's replicable. Like you still have this data availability problem of like it has to be stored somewhere. But the thing that's happening right mm -hmm. now is that people are building a ton of like data availability layers like ETH2 and Cosmos are bo both need one. Um, I forget what what is John Adler's project called? Not Fuel, the other thing. Lazy Ledger. Lazy Ledger. That's Lazy <laughs> yeah. Ledger is like a good We've way. We've done of, a show with him. That's a great uh, name. Is, is, would be yeah. I don't know anything about it, but I already love Lazy Ledger. <laughs> <laughs> like where do I buy? Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think they have a token yet, yeah. but um, you know, soon. Our, the uh, the the meme within our like smaller community of of like crypto nerds is always like when token you know yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny because 2018 was like no token no right. token run away <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no kidding and now we're kind of back to tokenize I, everything like I think there's a world where I we know. like tokenize little Michaela follows and comments and like you know TikTok so what does little Michaela Dow look like like what can I what what like 
let, walk us through kind of the design process of like what you would want, you know, uh, fans to kind of be able to like, you know, I think the governance tokens have shown that a people are lazy. So governance attacks are expensive and you actually have to end up building another protocol to do the governance attack, which is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so people people need something fun, but also like there needs to be some like game involved. This so is, like what's kind of this is probably where I should talk to my lawyer before I do podcasts like this. But like I think like, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the, 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 the simple answer would be like I think like there's a the, the dream of kind of having this giant decentralized community that can like drive a narrative and make decisions and like participate in the direction of the character, right? And so I think immediately we have this like centralized organization that's making all of these decisions, but kind of slowly working down the stack to potentially you know even like open sourcing the character and the rigs and everything else and people are like creating the images that live as nfts first and then you know potentially having like those nft dollars passed back to a treasury or whatever and that's where i'll, I'll stop based on you know what, <laughs> <laughs> what so it sounds like to find out more is there a place where people can read up i mean this is like breaking news i mean we're trying to figure it out if it's even possible <laughs> right now like literally like you know I'm, I'm talking about it in public with like my, my my smart friends like you guys to try to figure out if it's feasible and if people listening are interested in kind of solving for this like i'm all ears you know it's just skeet s-k-e-e-t at b-r-u-d dot f-y-i but like we're trying to figure it out like i like taking shots and trying to build the future and maybe we go up in flames, but at least like people can pick up our like scraps and figure it out for themselves. Little Michaela is now a resident of the Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you, okay, so you guys were asking like what what is sort of something that can help this further along. I I, th I think the regulatory framework around a lot of this is, is certainly holding us back. I mean, like yeah. Like again, I, I'm not promising this at all in any mean in any way. But like, you know, I would love to see a future where you could do revenue share with with token holders. I mean, that's that's such an obvious low hanging fruit, you know, for for to to share with your community and to uh, use it as a crowdfunding platform. Obviously, that's not what it is. But you know, if if that was cleared up, that would be an amazing route for artists and for like all kinds of different projects to take and we're kind of held back by that limitation at the moment you know and I, you don't want to do that like hey guys it's available to everybody and you know um you can't buy it in the u.s or you know it's like your entire audience is in the u.s so anyway it's uh i, I wish i wish that was clear i guess at this point that's a good yeah, point. I think I think I think um, the way that Trevor and I met was via someone whose company I would say was kind of killed by such a uh, such a such an endeavor. They were just like two <laughs> exactly. years too early to the prediction market game, you know? It's... Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, as kind of a, a last question to both of you, like coming, you're in the you're in the music influencer media art worlds but what is the actual reputation of blockchain in these spaces like you're now talking to your fans saying come on board join these things but i know that for the last like year and a half two <laughs> years <laughs> i've been a bit like i work on blockchain like under my breath kind of <laughs> not necessarily shouting it far and wide has that changed or is there still like a, st a stink connected to this word or um yeah, uh, I, I, I feel like 2017 screwed it up a little bit. It, it definitely didn't. Uh, definitely didn't help for a while. I, I think that that has shifted, at least in my perspective. Let me put it this way: I've been shouting this from the rooftops for a long time now, and I'm only getting DMs from artists now about NFT stuff. So, like, it's. Uh, I think the NFT is, is a format is sort of bringing in a lot of people. 
in a way that just the investing cryptocurrency side of it wasn't. So I okay. I, I think uh, it's it's the reputation has certainly improved. Uh, that's my impression. Yeah, yeah. I would say on my end, it went from like this seems cool to like well, I don't want to touch this to like I feel like there was an era where Dre and I were sending our friends all this information with that like Kanye, but I don't know though. <laughs> mean like you know, like it could ruin your life. So like I don't know, but this is how I see it. <laughs> To like yeah. now our convictions are pretty strong. And I th- even like NBA Top Shot, like a lot of my friends who get that, the appeal of buying a LeBron James song are like, this is cool. Like, how do I do this? Mm. And so it's starting to really kind of penetrate. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Well, that's really positive And I'm happy to hear that. Maybe I can start to say blockchain a little louder <laughs> when I'm talking about it at dinner well, parties. I'm just happy <laughs> that the like blockchain, not Bitcoin people kind of like the the enterprise nonsense ship that all died. That yeah, that probably true. was the best thing that could have happened because I felt yeah. like the people who tried to capitalize the most off 2017 were like in that camp. Made uh, it pretty good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I don't hear about them anymore at all. Well, <laughs> like they pillaged and left. The, the the one thing that I I like to this has sort of been like a new motivation for me is that okay, like in in the artist community, capitalism is a really dirty word. It's just like money is a dirty thing. Like you don't talk about it. You don't. It's like oh, don't you don't go there. But I, I see this differently. Like I, I sort of just accept that this is the world we live in, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to use it as a tool. I'm going to be trying to be as creative as a possible, and and try to do something that's relevant to me and my community and fun, you know. And and I, I think that NFTs are maybe an example of that, at where where it's not purely just like buy my token, you know. <laughs> like the, 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 there, there's there's something kind of cool about it that you're sort of just embracing it at face value, and and. I, I hope that that comes across, you know, over time, and I hope people start to embrace it. And 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 I think once artists sort of like embrace that side of it, we'll do a lot better instead of being at the lowest end of the totem pole like we usually are. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. And I, I kind of talk about it in similar ways. Like I, I kind of will joke about like the '90s like rap rock moment where I was like, could you imagine a world where like rappers and rockers are coming together? <laughs> Like in my head, it's just like, can you imagine a world where like finance bros and like, you know, Bushwick artists are like coming, like that is the same thing to me. Like you're going to have to figure out how to build economies around your craft. And I think the artists that are going to win are the ones that are going to be like Dre and figuring how to build these really cool economies and like, you know, aligning incentives and kind of going on this journey together. Cool. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Andre and Trevor, for coming on the show and sharing all of this experience and your perspective as artists working with NFTs and all things blockchain. Thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's really fun. Thank you. I'm happy to see 2021 is the year that zero knowledge proofs branch out to to meet people who could use them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, the ZKP NFT crossover is is on its way cool (laughs) all right so thanks again and to our listeners thanks for listening 